The Bible passage this morning is from 1 Samuel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. And it's on, if you've got a church Bible, it's on page 233. 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man from Ramathame, Zophim, in the hill country of Ephraim, His name was Elkanah, son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zaph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, If you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, Her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depths of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, Go in peace, and may the Lord of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favour with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord 
remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explained to her husband, After the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and to stay there permanently. Her husband Elkanah replied, Do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord, for as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he worshipped the Lord there. Good morning, everyone. My name's Rob. I'm a student minister here. Uh, I am really glad to be uh, here in person. My first couple of sermons were completely online, so it's great to be able to look out uh, and see some people uh, here. And hello to all those who have to be online. Uh, Glad you can still be joining us in these times as well. Well, today we're looking at Hannah, a wonderful woman for us to imitate, a great example to follow, uh, particularly her trust, her perseverance, and her humility before God. And as we look at her story, we see a helpful reminder for us all that God hears us and has a deep concern for his people. And so let's pray now as we look at Hannah's story together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that through your word we can know you and know your love. And we pray that as we listen to you today, please equip us and change us and help us to submit to you in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the world around us seems to be facing some pretty massive problems, as it has all through the ages. There's war, there's poverty, and we're all dealing with the effects of COVID. It's completely changed the way that we've lived our lives. And I think it's tempting to ask the question, is God too busy? Is God too busy focusing on all the big things happening in the world that he forgets about us? Uh, Does he forget about little old me? In our passage today, we see a desperate woman bringing her personal requests to God. She wants to have a child. She really wants to have a child, but after a long time, she still doesn't have one. She knows God's purpose in creation and marriage is to raise godly offspring, and she's frustrated and saddened that it hasn't happened for her. Overflowing in tears and with pain, she pleads to God for a child. Uh, This is a pain and feeling uh, that my wife and I have been experiencing lately, and I'm sure this is a feeling that has been uh, had here, or is being had here. It's a very common uh, problem, 
Hannah really is an ordinary person dealing with the common desire for a child. In many ways, I don't think it's what you would expect if I was to tell you that we're looking at the heroes or the heroines of the Old Testament. She's not the heroic uh, woman like Jael with the tent peg. Uh, she's a woman who is deeply impacted by the effects of sin in the world in tears before God. And Hannah's personal question raises, uh, her story raises the question for all of us, does God care for people like Hannah? Does he care for everyday people like us? Hannah's story is a deeply personal one. Uh, I've been praying a lot for us this week as we look at her story. And we might not be in the right place to be thinking about this right now, and that's fine. But I am so glad that the Bible deals with the real messiness that comes from living in this broken world. So thankful that it uh, reveals the real pain that this world brings us. And I'm glad that it gives us the reassurance that God's people are never alone. God sincerely cares for his people, both on a personal level and on a global level. And I hope you'll see this picture of God as we look at Hannah's story. I will trace her story in three parts. First, her real pain. Second, her radical promise. And three, her royal praise. So first, her real pain. As we know, pain and suffering is a reality of the life that we live in. It's felt all around us, and that includes people with a true and living faith in God. And even if things for you right now are going really well, even if you're loving life right now, you know that there are times of deep pain. And we see why when we go back to Genesis 3, right at the start of the Bible, humanity rebels against the true and living God. And this disrupts the whole nature of things. The whole world is affected by humanity turning their backs on God. And significantly for our passage today, this has an effect on childbearing. Genesis 3.16 says, God said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Humans were commanded to fill and multiply the world. And kids is an awesome part of God's plan for people in marriage. And yet knowing the goodness of childbearing really highlights the pain that sin caused, the complications in childbirth. The global effects of sin are horrible. It's not how it should have been. And Hannah is really feeling the global effects of sin on a personal level. And Hannah's pain gives real insight into the everyday experience of living in this broken world. We get a sense of this from verse 6. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And verse 10, deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. In our passage, we have Elkanah, the husband. We have Hannah, a wife that Elkanah loves deeply but hasn't had children. And then we have Penina, the second wife, who has children. And so as you can imagine, this is a very painful situation for Hannah. Hannah is feeling the effects of sin on a very personal level. And her emotional struggles are repeated. And you can almost feel them as you read. 
Year after year, she hasn't given birth. She would weep and would not eat. Taunted, deeply hurt, she came before God with many tears. And when she prays in verse 13, Eli assumes that she's drunk. That's how emotionally driven her prayers are. This global problem of sin is causing her pain on a very personal level. On top of this, her family aren't very supportive at all, right? Uh, Her husband does love Hannah, which I think is important, and yet he still asks, why are you troubled? He asks, why are you crying? He doesn't seem to fully get it or to fully care about the struggle she's going through. Uh, And it's not just like the man in the story is a little bit clueless. The other wife just absolutely wrecks Hannah as well. She mocks her. She rubs it in that she has children and Hannah doesn't. This is a tough situation for Hannah. Amongst her pain of infertility, she's been mocked and teased by those around her as they add insult to injury. Now, I like to have friends around and play games with them. Uh, I'm pretty competitive and I enjoy winning. Uh, But no one likes it when the winner rubs it in that they've absolutely dominated, right? And we're taught from a young age to be, to be humble, to not to boast uh, when we win. Although I've realised lately that when Australia is beating England in the ashes, apparently all that goes out the window, right? Like, it's completely fine to rub it in, smash them. It's encouraged, right, to add insult injury. But normally, uh, in life, there's a big difference between winning sport uh, and in dealing with real pain in the world that we live in. In reality, that's not how we treat people who are suffering real pain as we live in the broken world. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament make it clear uh, that God's people are to love one another, just as God loves us. So Penina, she is not the example to follow. She is not the heroine in this story. She uses her joy and rubs it in the face of Hannah, adding insult to injury. Uh, To be very clear, though, the issue is not that she has children. Her children are a joy, like we've talked about, and a good thing to be celebrated. The issue is that she uses her gift of children to mock someone who doesn't have kids. Such an ungodly way to use a good gift from God. Christ has saved us from that way of life, from a life of boasting in ourselves. God gives us many great things, but he doesn't give them to, make our, to build ourselves up but for us to encourage others with them, particularly here at church. And so if God does give you children, you should enjoy them and truly, truly be thankful to God for the great gift that they are. But we don't follow Penina's example of boasting and mockery, which goes completely against God's desire for us to love one another. And while this story puts this in the context of pain, uh, of infertility, Really, I think it sets the tone for how to act or how not to act uh, amongst people experiencing pain. As a church, we seek to follow Christ's call to love one another, and we do that by supporting each other through the highs and lows as we go through the real pain of living in a world marred by sin, as we encourage each other to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Uh, What I find encouraging about this section, though, uh, is Hannah's attitude. She doesn't wish pain onto Penina. She doesn't ask God to take away her children. She simply shares her pain with God as she asks for a child of her own. And I think that can be hard, right? There's lots of mixed emotions when you're going through pain and others are having a good time. 
uh, or when you're really wanting a child and others are having them. There's lots of mixed emotions. But Christ calls us to love one another. And I don't think it happens often, but we'd love people even if they're mocking us in our pain, just as God loved us when we were his enemies. As we mocked Christ on the cross, he was showing his love for us. And so it's great to see an example like Hannah to encourage us not to react, but to look to God for comfort. Hannah's pain is real, it's deep, and it's causing her anguish. What we see next in the story is her radical promise. And we also see a timely reminder that God does care for people like Hannah, everyday people experiencing the anguish of a broken world. While in pain, Hannah goes to the temple to pray to God. Even though verse 5 makes it clear that it is the Lord keeping her from conceiving. And yet, Hannah turns to God and asks for a child. And she makes a radical promise. She says that if God gives her a baby, she'll give the baby back to God. That is a radical promise. And one that cannot be taken lightly, particularly in light of her pain. Uh, Read along with me in verse 11. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son, I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. This is a radical promise, right? If the Lord gives her a child, she'll dedicate him to the Lord. It doesn't really seem to make sense at first, right? Uh, for Christmas, I asked for a coffee machine, and not once have I thought about giving that coffee machine back. <laughs> when it comes to a child who you've been wanting for years and years, this is a radical promise. She wants comfort from God, even if it's just temporary. You can't miss how hard this would have been for Hannah. And yet it's a massive, massive example of trust and putting God first. Hannah has a deep desire for a child but she shows more concern for God's glory and for God's will to be done. This is a radical trust in God in tough times. Now, I think it's easy to think that Hannah's just trying to pull one over God, trying to trick him or make a deal with him. Maybe if God, uh, you know, scratch, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But that's not what's happening in this case. She's demonstrating trust. She describes herself as God's servant a few times because of God's grace and mercy. She recognizes that if if she has a child, it's all because of God and the child belongs to him. And I think some context helps us to see her faithfulness. We read back in Exodus that God's people were enslaved in Egypt. God freed his people and the Egyptians, they lost their firstborn. And Israel were to remember this, uh, as a remembrance of this, God declared that every firstborn Israelite belong to him. And to remember it, the Israelites were to redeem their firstborn child for five shekels. It reminds them of God's grace, that God saved his people from slavery. And so here, Hannah seems to be going above and beyond. She gives back to God by offering her son as a living sacrifice to God for all of his life. Hannah recognizes that if she has a child, it belongs to God. It came from him by his grace. This is a powerful remembrance uh, of God's grace and a powerful promise that demonstrates a great trust in God. 
Hannah knows that God is the one to turn to in the midst of pain. Uh, and we see that he is the solution. In verse 19 and 20, Hannah's prayer is answered. She falls pregnant and she gives birth to Samuel. Hannah hasn't been lost amongst God's God's big plans for the world. He hasn't been lost, she hasn't been lost amongst the political problems of the time, even though there were many. Uh, God is the one that she leaned on. God is the solution to the pain. I think it can be hard to turn to God in times of immense pain. I remember talking to someone a few years ago, and they just couldn't trust in God. They looked at the world around them, and they just thought, there can't be a good God. All the things that are happening all around the world, why is there so much pain if there is a good God? And it was such a big obstacle that they, they just couldn't believe. And I think this is the case for many people. Rather than trusting God, people will find their hope in other things. Some people put their trust in the pleasures of the world as a distraction. Or some will just stay angry at God as for the, for the pain that they experience in this life. Or some will just turn to science and medicine as a solution to all things. Medicine, as, uh, medicine can be helpful, but there's nothing that can replace our trust in God. God is the solution and the one that we turn to in pain and suffering. He is the one we turn to not to flee from. When Adam tried to flee from God, it resulted in sin, and we all experience the global consequence of this. The only hope that we have is to turn back to God, to come to him for his grace and forgiveness. Not to bargain with him, not to do a deal, but to put our trust in him just as Hannah did. And just as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, recognizing that God is Father, that he is the one to turn to in pain, while also submitting to his will, trusting that God knows best. God is not too busy to hear the prayers of his people. And while our experience might tempt us to doubt God's goodness, we see in God's word that he is good. He does care for his people. Now, Hannah's promise, it's very radical. And I, but I think as we reflect on it, it's not too different uh, from uh, what we should be praying. Although, admittedly, I don't think Adrian would be happy if we left our children at his place. Uh, please remember, if you've left your children uh, at the ministry center, please pick them up after church. Uh, but following Jesus, it means to be fully devoted to Jesus as we seek to build his kingdom, making and growing disciples. So firstly, we should be praying this for ourselves, that we'll all be fully devoted to God, that we'll be living sacrifices as Romans 12 encourages us to be. Some of us here will remain single, uh, which Paul says is a really great way to serve his church and serve Christ. For others, uh, the option of children will be closed. And in the midst of some of this pain, I hope, though, that you'll see that church is your family as well, that through Christ we are adopted uh, to be brothers and sisters to each other. And so as we pray the prayer for ourselves to be fully devoted to God, I hope you'll join with us and pray for the children here as well, that they will live their lives fully devoted to God. Uh, for others who might have children in the future, or already do, uh, this is a great prayer to start praying. That if, by God's will, you have a child, that they'll grow up fully devoted to God. Not that they'll be rich and famous, uh, not that they'll look after us as we get older, 
but that they'll be fully devoted to God at all times, that they'll be seeking to grow and make disciples. And even, if a tough, even in the tough times, they will remain strong in him. This can be a difficult prayer to pray, particularly if we have children who've wandered away from God. But keep persevering. Keep turning to God in prayer because he is the solution. Our prayers and actions should encourage the children here at church and our own children, if we have them, to be fully devoted to God. Now, our experience, uh, it won't always be like Hannah's. God doesn't always alleviate our present suffering by giving us a child or relieving any other pain. Making radical promises won't necessarily get rid of things either. Having more faith isn't the solution. These things are not why God answered Hannah's prayer. And in the last section, we see Hannah's royal praise. We see that this story is about more than Hannah. This isn't just a story about making a woman happy again. God ends Hannah's pain as a sign that he'll also end the global pain of sin. God's care for Hannah is all part of his global plan to save his people from sin. And while our real pain may not be stopped in this life, those who trust in God will live with him forever, with no more pain, no more sadness, no more death. This is by far the greatest assurance and hope that we can have. And Hannah recognises this. She gives praise to God as a ruler of all uh, who gives power to his king. It's a prayer full of royal praise to our great God. Here is a glimpse of the prayer in chapter 2, verse 10. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give power to his king. He'll lift up the horn of his anointed. God not only cares for individuals like Hannah, but he cares for his people as a whole. And even as he works in Hannah's life, he does so with a bigger picture in mind to bring salvation for Israel. Before Samuel is born, Israel are in a great time of need. They're all about doing whatever seems best in their own eyes. And they want a king, a king like the other nations have. So is all hope lost for Israel? Will God save them from their time of need? Well, Hannah's story is at right at the beginning of the book. And it shows us that God is powerful enough to save those who turn to him in humility. Just like Hannah turns to God in humility. She turns to God recognizing her position as a servant. She pleads with God to be saved from infertility. And God cares for Hannah and answers her prayer. And the people of Israel were to remember this. To turn to God in their time of need. When Israel faced enemies, they should have turned to him in humility and they could be certain that God would hear them. God is powerful enough to save those who turn to him in humility. In answering Hannah's prayer, he shows that he not only cares for the personal problems of people, but he's the saviour of God's people. And we also get a glimpse of this in Hannah's child, Samuel. While Israel are trying to be like the other nations, Samuel continues to worship God, pointing the kings towards God's word. He stays worshipping God. God's answer to Hannah's prayer comforted Hannah's pain and provided hope for Israel. And on top of that, on top of providing hope for Israel, 
God demonstrates that he is the solution to the global problem of sin. Problems in childbearing is a consequence of sin, as we saw in Genesis 3. And so Hannah's story shows that God is powerful enough to undo those consequences. And her royal uh, praise goes a step further and hints towards God being the solution to the global problem of sin once and for all, as we see in Christ. And we see this in Hannah's hope of resurrection. Hannah praises God in verse 6 and 7, saying, The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol and raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. It's God who gives life to Hannah. It's God who raises up people and gives life to others. God's answer to Hannah's personal prayer gives great hope to Israel that God will deliver them, as he does throughout the book of Samuel. And ultimately for us, it points us to the anointed one, Jesus, who has the power to raise up sinners from death and to bring them into eternal life with him. God has provided the solution to the global problem of sin. The thing that causes death, the thing that causes difficulty in childbirth, it's been dealt with and solved through Jesus' death and resurrection. So all who come to him in humility share in his victory over sin and will be raised to eternal life with Christ where there is no more sin. And so in the midst of our real pain, look at what Christ has achieved and enjoy the full assurance and joy about the life to come. There will be a day when there will be no more pain. We have such a great and caring God who has gone to the heart of the problem and saved us from the global problem of sin. God cares for our personal problems here and now, and ultimately he shows that by listening to our greatest need, salvation from sin. He is the king of the world who deserves our full glory. Now, I uh, have a first aid certificate. Uh, Sometimes when I'm at Kids Alive, it comes in handy. Uh, A kid will bump their head or they'll have a little bit of a scratch. Uh, They're normally pretty easy solved, so you don't really need a first aid certificate. You just put a Band-Aid on if it's bleeding, put an ice pack on, give them a drink of water, uh, and they'll be running around again in five minutes. Uh, Sometimes it's just a pretty simple fix, right? Uh, But sometimes, uh, sometimes they're just symptoms and there's a bigger problem, right? When someone coughs these days, we all know what that's a symptom of. Uh, For me, I hate it when it's summer and I have a fever and I'm trying to sleep. And it's just really annoying, right? It's really painful. You just can't seem to do anything. Uh, The symptom is really bad. I really want the symptom to go. But really, the symptom's caused by something far greater. And it is actually better, even though I don't feel like it, for that real problem to be dealt with. And that's what God does as he goes to the heart of the problem, as God shows his love for us. God sent his son, Christ, to come into the world and to deal with the global problem of sin once and for all, dying in our place, so that all who believe in him will have eternal life, where all the effects of sin are dealt with. God has gone to the heart of the problem. The symptoms of sin will still linger in this life and cause real pain, but they will disappear as we're welcomed into God's kingdom. And so as we live our lives waiting for that moment, we can still be certain that God cares for his people. He cares for our real pain. He lifts up those who come to him in humility. And we see that most of all 
as he saves us from the cause of pain and suffering. We saw that in Hannah's life. We see that in what her son achieves for Israel. And ultimately, we see that through Christ. And so it's so good that we can have this certainty that those who trust in Jesus have their sins forgiven. It's far better than placing your hope in anything in this life. Now, Hannah's story does have a happy ending in verse 21 of chapter 2. She has more children. But that's not the certainty that we experience uh, that's not the certainty with the pain that we experience in this life. Our lives may be full of pain that never ends. And that's why it's so good to have the certainty in the life to come that those who trust in Jesus will have their sins forgiven and will live with him forever. Place your hope in the one who raises the dead to life. God used Hannah's pain to bring about his greater plan for salvation. Uh, And the encouraging thing is God also uses our pain for his glory. Uh, The book of James encourages us that suffering matures us and grows our perseverance. Our pain is not wasted. It helps us to keep relying on God as we keep our eyes on eternity. And so as we bring our personal uh, pain to God, we can do so knowing the following things. Knowing that he cares for our situation. He cares for the real pain that we experience in this broken world. We can bring our requests to God knowing that he's dealt with the problem, the real problem, the global problem of sin. It's solved in Jesus. And we can do so knowing that our struggles, that he uses our struggles for his greater purposes to help us to keep persevering into eternal life. And so as we head out this week, I want you to remember Hannah's story. An everyday woman trusting, persevering with humility before God. And when you think about her story, I want you to remember the great God that we have. The great God who lifts up the humble who come to him for forgiveness. The God who cares for our personal pain and has done away with sin once and for all. Uh, And it's my prayer that you'll keep trusting and persevering with humility before God, even throughout the ups and downs of life. Let's pray now uh, to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the rightful king of the world. Thank you that you are powerful. Thank you that you love us and care for our personal pain. We pray, Father, that you help us to trust, to have perseverance and have humility as we turn to you in times of need. And we praise you that you have dealt with the real cause of pain and difficulty in childbirth, which you did through your son. Father, we pray that you'll help us to cling to you to the amazing hope that we have of living with you with no more sin, no more tears, forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.